you hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Can you get life insurance if you're HIV positive? That's the subject of this week's Queer Money. We've invited our good friend Sa El, co-founder and CEO of Simply Insurance, to answer that question and much more. Sa El is a licensed life and health insurance agent with over 10 years of experience in the insurance industry. As well as being an entrepreneur, he's an insurance educator and field underwriter. Sa is on a journey to get 1 million families insured. You can connect with him at simplyinsurance.co. Just to let you know, we talk a lot today about no-exam life insurance quotes, for which you can get more information at simplyinsurance.co by searching no-exam life insurance quotes. Today's Queer Money is brought to you by the Debt-Free Guys 7-Day Debt Freedom Challenge, and you can accept that challenge by going to debtfreeguys.com. Finally, if you like this or any other episode of Queer Money, please help us get Queer Money into more ears. Please share Queer Money with one or two friends in your life. We'd appreciate that. Thank you. Now, let's get started. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. Welcome, Saw El, to Queer Money. We appreciate having you. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Of course. You bet. So you've been a great resource for David and me specifically, as well as to the Debt Free Guys readers, because um, you provided some great comprehensive life insurance information for our readers. In fact, uh, you wrote one of our more popular blog posts uh, that we published on DebtFreeGuys.com a little while back, How to Find Transgender Life Insurance, uh, which we'll link to the show notes for this podcast. So we're excited to have you coming on to talk about a very important topic, how to get life insurance if you're HIV positive. Absolutely. Um, I think it's a very important topic. And I think that a lot of times, you know, we let things go as individuals and we think that, you know, it may be impossible. We don't want to really look into how to make it work for ourselves. But I think I think life insurance is extremely important and no matter what your situation is in life. And uh, we definitely now have the opportunity to get covered if we're HIV positive. So I think it's a a great opportunity. And I think it's something new, um, but I think everyone needs life insurance. Right. Yeah. It's nice that, that we're, we are making this kind of progress, right? We, we've gone from, in many ways, it being a very tragic situation for individuals, uh, kind of a, a life sentence and knowing that they were probably going to be dying within a couple of years to now the extended life periods, people are being able to, to live much longer, we're able to take medicines such as PrEP to protect ourselves in addition to the typical or normal, uh, what we would encourage as safe sex practices. Now there's the opportunity, because we're living longer, to, to look at all of the financial aspects of what a 20, 30, 40, 50 year life looks for someone who has uh, been diagnosed as HIV positive. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's a huge thing, like you said, that, you know, the change of reality, Right. Because that's the biggest thing. Like, you know, I was talking to someone the other day and I was like, you know, living with HIV is much easier than living with diabetes, you know, in, in 2018. And it's true. Right. It's crazy. Um, you know, it, it's ridiculously crazy, but it's it's absolutely true. You know, now it's it's a reality. And the fact that we're just now getting here for life insurance is it's kind of ridiculous, but it's still good <laughs> that it's starting. Right. right. I do remember uh, when I was younger, oftentimes I would see in various magazines or even in the, the local gay rags where there was oftentimes life insurance 
ads, but more often than not, those were ones where they were helping individuals who had been diagnosed to sell their life insurance policies or cash them in so they had money to take care of themselves as they kind of basically lived out the last few years of their lives. Well, now now it's on the flip side. We're getting life insurance so we can protect ourselves and, and leave a legacy for those who we leave behind. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's funny that you said that because there was actually just an article. I can't remember where it was, but they were talking about now all those places that were buying those life insurance policies are still waiting for some of those people to pass away because the standards of living change. Right. Right. So they got into the situation now where it's like they're just still waiting. Wow. That's wow. interesting. So it's funny that you said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm actually, you know, in a twisted way, happy that problem's ha- existing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? right. Exactly. <laughs> so we're going to start off this particular interview with some very basic questions. David and I are not insurance experts. Uh, that's why we invited Sal into the show. Uh, so we're going to start with very fundamental questions, and then we'll get to a little more um, uh, in-depth questions as we proceed through the show. So if you, the listener, a little bit more well-versed on insurance, please uh, uh, bear with us for the first five or 10 minutes here. <laughs> so what is underwriting? I don't fully understand what that term is and how it affects me as a life insurance applicant. Okay. So in the simplest of terms, so I like to keep things very simple. So Underwriting is just a process that the insurance companies take you through to determine if you're eligible for them to cover you for life insurance. It's that simple. It's like they're checking you out, right? You go to it, you know, if you guys, you know, you're at a club, you're checking somebody out, you're saying, hey, are they <laughs> the height I like, right? <laughs> David's sitting right here. <laughs> I was just saying, guys, you know, how you guys, you know, you checked each other out. You were basically taking you guys through, you know, you know, eye underwriting, right? You're looking at them all. They got good style. They got this and that. That's pretty much what underwriting is. They're checking your, you know, your medical history. They're going to check your motor vehicle report. To make sure you're not a crazy driver, I always like to say that they're going to, you know, they're checking for DUIs, they're checking for speeding tickets. Uh, They're also going to check your background, your health background. They're going to check your prescription drug report. It's a company called IntelliScript, um, where every time you fill a prescription, they're going to check it. Now, that's important because sometimes people fill prescriptions for their spouses and don't realize that even though you're not taking it, the insurance company is going to see it as you taking it, wow. right? So, you know, I, ha- I had a case like that before where my, my customer was like, hey, you know, he's not taking any medication. It came back. I'm like, hey, you know, it's showing you're taking metformin. You know, metformin is a, you know, diabetic drug. You know, it's a pill for, for diabetes. And I said, hey, you know, they're showing you're taking, you know, metformin. And he was like, well, you know, you know, my wife doesn't have health insurance and I kind of had to get it filled. So it, it ran into an issue where one, the doctor should have never prescribed it. So that was the issue, right? And then two, now he can't get life insurance because he can't show them his medical records that he was ever diagnosed with diabetes. And now they're like, well, why are you taking diabetes medication? So it's very important, guys, you know, when you're dealing with, you know, the underwriting process, they're looking for everything, right? They're looking for a reason to insure you as well as for a reason not to insure you. So, uh, that's kind of the, the process. Um, and they also have this place called the Medical Information Bureau. Um, it's short for you know, MIB. And what they do is it's basically like four or 500 insurance companies that created a nonprofit organization and they share your information. So anytime you apply for life insurance, the MIB 
is basically these insurance companies saying, oh, here's this person medical records. They apply here maybe five months ago. And here's what here was what the outcome was. So if you apply for insurance again, any insurance company can pull that data and see, oh, well, this person was, you know, this is what happened to you with this insurance carrier. You know, what was the outcome? And they can kind of make a better decision with that. Now, something that's important with underwriting to understand, no one insurance company will underwrite the same as another insurance company. Each one of them have what's called underwriting guidelines. These guidelines are determined by what's called reinsurance companies. Now, reinsurance companies are the insurance companies for the insurance companies. <laughs> I know it's, it's, it's a How bit much. How deep does the rabbit hole go? Yeah. It goes deep. So, most of the times, if you're the client from an insurance company, it's because you do not meet the underwriting guidelines that were set forth by their reinsurance companies that say, hey, we have to have these specific guidelines in under to back your, you know, your decision to accept this risk. Right. So that's kind of how deep it goes. Um, but on the surface, your medical exams, when you take a medical exam, your prescription drug report, your medical records also call APS or attending physician statement. And, you know, that's kind of the general basics. And sometimes they'll do a telephone interview. You know, they'll ask you specific questions based on, you know, the history that they pull. But that's the basics of underwriting. It's basically the insurance company checking you out to see, is this somebody that we can give insurance to? So they're basically trying to assess whether or not they think you're going to die now in a year or in 25 years, right? They're trying to determine if <laughs> if insuring you makes financial sense to them. Just like correct when somebody goes and and tries to get a loan for a car, they're trying to determine whether or not you're going to be able to pay that payment for the next five years, or you're going to make the first two payments and then they're going to have to come and get the car from you. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. Queer money listeners don't take out auto loans for more than three years. <laughs> so based on everything you said, I've got two comments or questions. The first is, I don't care what you say, MIB will always stand for men in black. And two, <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like it would be pretty hard to pull a fast one on an insurance provider, right? Because you could say that you're doing one thing, but they, with all the records that they're checking, including your prescription drugs, they could prove otherwise. Yes. That's why I always advocate to get life insurance as soon as possible and as early as possible. And I also advocate to go the no exam route, uh, especially if you're younger, you know, especially if you're your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, even, you know, early 50s, you know, always go the no exam route. You know, there's a lot of great no exam options now that there didn't used to be. And the reason why I say it is this, we're not trying to fool the insurance companies. However, some of us don't know our issues, right? right? Uh-huh. Some of us are scared to find out about them. Some of us don't go to the doctor enough. Some of us don't even get the, you know, the biannual dental check that we should get, right? So because of that, when you go and you take out a life insurance policy and they do that medical exam, you really could put yourself in a situation where you can't get life insurance, where if you did not do the medical exam, you would have life insurance. And let me explain to you why. If someone is HIV positive or diabetic or has ALS or or anything that they don't know they have, right? When they go and they do a no medical exam application, the 
no medical exam application is only checking for a few things. It's checking your prescription drug history, but it's not looking for things like, oh, antibiotics or Tylenol 3 for pain. It's looking to make sure you've not been diagnosed. It's going to check the MIB, which it probably won't see anything because it's probably your first time applying for life insurance. It's going to check your motor vehicle report to make sure you don't have any DUIs or any speeding tickets. That's usually the gist of what it's checking for no exam. And then it, you know, does identity verification through like uh, LexisNexis, which, you know, it doesn't pull your credit or anything like that. It just verifies you are human, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, you can get approved for life insurance based on just those three reports and never know, still don't know there's something going on, right? right. Whereas if you go to a traditional company, they're going to run that medical exam and they're going to pull it and they're going to say, oh, you know, we found out you're HIV positive. Now you can, ne- you know, you now you have a whole nother issue that you have to deal with. Right? right. Or we found out you're diabetic. Oh, now you have a whole nother issue. They may issue the insurance policy, but they might say, hey, finding out you're diabetic, we can't issue insurance to you. Right. There's even situations where I've had customers find out they were pregnant and the insurance companies would not insure them until after they had the baby. So, yeah, so it's it's very uh, important that one, you're honest on any application that you do for life insurance uh, and two, you know, go for the no exam up front. You know, I always would recommend that. I mean, paying, you know, if, if you are a person that really takes care of yourself and, you know, you're checking in with a doctor every six months and, you know, you, you know, you do exams all the time and you know your situation, then yeah, maybe an exam is really the best option for you because it's always usually going to be the most affordable. But if you're a person that you really haven't checked anything and you feel good, right, there's nothing going on. I will go with a med. I will go with a no exam product up front. Sure, that's because that's going to then get reported back to this MIB, right? They're going to report back that you've gotten life insurance and you you didn't have the exam, but you were, I guess, viewed as okay to insure. Correct. Okay. Exactly. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. How long has the no exam option been around? Do you know? I would say the no exam option has been around for at least, I would say maybe nine years, probably eight or nine years um, in some form or fashion. Mm -hmm. So you have what's called final expense products. Those products are whole life insurance products that are geared towards people between the ages of 50 and 85. They're whole life insurance products that have anywhere between $2,000 in death benefit all the way up to $25,000. And they're only traditionally used for final expenses. Those products traditionally are no exam. Um, They have few health questions and they only pull those couple of reports we talked about earlier and people can get approved. Now, that's the earliest form of no exam. Uh, More recently, we have companies that have no exam, but they they still pull medical records. So they'll say, hey, this is a no exam product, and the only thing you don't have to do is get an exam, but we're still going to request medical records from your doctor. We're still going to pull all our other reports. They even might do a, you know, financial underwriting, depending on how much the coverage is. So it's new the way it's being offered now, uh, whereas one of the companies that we represent was called Simplified Issue. So there are no medical records being requested. There's no exam. And you're going to get either an approval or a decline. So you have an instant answer. It's not going to be waiting six months, waiting three months for an answer. It's going to be immediate. Uh, So 
it's kind of changed over time, but I would say maybe started maybe nine years ago. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, it's more advanced to where, you know, even a no medical exam product that still requests medical records could probably take you two weeks to get approved because they have to reach out to your doctor's office and request those medical records from the doctor's office who then has to contact what's called a copying service to come in and copy your records, who <laughs> then sends those records to the company requesting the records. Yeah, it's, wow. it's a bit much. So how do people who get life insurance through an employer get a complete pass on the entire review process? So the way it works is that when you get life insurance on the personal side, everyone is underwritten as an individual. Okay. So they're looking at your underwriting based on you, not anybody else. Okay. As a group, they're looking at the group's underwriting outcome as a whole. Right. So how many people are diabetic? How many people are overweight? How many people are underweight? How many Uh, people are perfectly healthy? You know, how many people aren't perfectly healthy? They take all of that into account and they underwrite it as a whole. So the reason why someone can get group life insurance and not an individual life insurance policy is that they're not underwriting you as an individual. They're underwriting the group as a whole. That makes sense. So it kind of disperses the risk over lots of people. Correct. Right. So, you know, if it's 100 employees, you know, they don't really care about the percentage of people that are, you know, not super healthy versus the percentage of people that are super healthy. They just say, hey, as a whole, we can rate, we can give you guys this rate. Right. And here you go. Right. Okay. Anybody that signs up gets it. That makes sense. And so does it make sense for someone or in what scenarios does it make sense for someone who has life insurance through their employer to get additional life insurance? In every situation, always. <laughs> I never recommend depending on your employer's insurance. There are a few a few reasons behind that. One, if you quit and or are fired or laid off, the insurance almost never comes with you. Right. That's the first thing, right? You can't keep the insurance. Does that stop immediately? Like the day you're fired, you walk out the door, you you lost your life insurance? You've lost it. They haven't. Right, right. Okay. That's fast. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't know if there was like a a, a grace period. No. Yeah, no. As soon as you're no longer employed, most of these insurance companies, it was a a big thing about this in the past, where a lot of people didn't know that when you get an insurance policy through your employer, most of the times they're the owner of the policy. And what that means is that the owner of the policy is the only person that can make changes to it. So companies in the past would have you working for them. Let's say you work for them for 20 years and then they laid you off. They would lay you off. You would lose your insurance benefit, but you would only lose it because they changed the beneficiary from your spouse to them. So when you die, they still cash out on your policy. Oh, wow. So oh, really? that ha- Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's happened in the past. So, wow. and it was a big thing. How's that legal? It, right? <laughs> that seems because twisted. they own the policy. Yeah. Hmm. Right. So, whoever owns the policy, you know, this is an important thing, guys. They're whoever owns the insurance policy, they're they're the ones that are not, not even paying for it. They just own it. Right. So, they're the ones that get to make all the decisions. For instance, I have a two million dollar life insurance policy on me. My husband is the owner of the policy. So that means. That if God forbid something happened, right? Like we just, it never, it doesn't work out for some odd reason, right? After being together for going on what, 11 years, but let's just say it doesn't work out. (laughs) (laughs) I can't do anything to that policy. I can't cancel it. I can't change the beneficiary. I can't change the payer of the policy. I can't do anything. It's his policy. 
Gotcha. And it's the same for me, right? So the reason why I bring that up is because whoever owns the policy is the only person that can make changes to it. And a lot of times in relationships, people give the make the owner of the policy the person that handles the bills, right? Who's the one that handles the bills the most? Who's the one that that deals with everything the most? And they usually make that person the owner because that's the only person that can call in and say, oh, I need to push the payment back a few days or, you know, you know, who's going to change the beneficiary information? Mm-hmm. That's the only person that does it. And when it, you know, if something bad happens or a divorce happens, the owner of that policy is the, is the person that could say, oh, well, I have this life insurance policy on you, but I'm making my, the beneficiary, my new spouse now, right? It's no longer going to be the kids. Like they could do that, right? Oh, and there's nothing no. you could do. So you always have to be conscientious of who you're making the owner of the policy as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's great information to know. I mean, that could be a whole Oprah. Right. So <laughs> yeah. I want to take it just a couple of steps back here. We, we, we really wanted to kind of dive into this whole idea of getting life insurance as an individual who's HIV positive. So mm-hmm. it seems to me like because there's we're, we may be heading down two different paths here, but the first path is if you can get insurance through an employer, you're probably going to get that's going to be your first or probably easiest step, right? You can get life insurance there because you're doing the group policy and there isn't a medical exam, so you can take care of that. So try to get your insurance through your employer. But we're starting to go down the path of of getting insurance on your own as an individual. And Mm -hmm. so then if you're going down that path, if you're a person who has a medical history or you you are HIV positive, then you're saying that there's some options here. Probably that first one is, is definitely the no medical exam one, especially if you haven't applied for life insurance already. Correct. Right. So if you, if you don't know, if you've not been diagnosed, see, being diagnosed is very important. So being diagnosed means you've gone to a doctor, they documented that you're HIV positive. Right. Right. So if you've been documented as being HIV positive, then the no exam option, you have to be kind of very careful. Okay. So if you're HIV positive and you and you find out from your doctor that you're HIV positive and the doctor says, hey, we're not going to put you on any prescription drugs. You're, you know, all your accounts are good. You know, your your viral load is, you know, undetectable. So you don't need medication. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, the. MIB and all the different agencies that are pulled, when they pull the information, it still might not show anything, right? So you still can get approved. Okay. The problem is, is that these policies do have what's called a two-year contestability clause in them. Every wow. life insurance policy has this. Gotcha. Meaning that if you pass away within the first two years of having any life insurance policy, they can contest your death. And that means that they can start looking into how you died, why you died, and they can decline to pay the benefit if there's something that comes up that wasn't given during the initial application. Okay. So Good I you. always say try to be as honest as possible Right. Um, when it comes to that part. Now, being, being diagnosed as being HIV positive, as of today, there's only one insurance company that will underwrite someone that's HIV positive. Oh, wow. And the name of that company is called John Hancock. Now, John Hancock... There isn't any type of special program or anything. So, you know, you don't reach out, you know, to me or them and say, hey, you know, I need the, I'm looking for the policy that will cover me if I'm HIV positive. It, it's nothing like that. All it is is the product, the, the term life policy that they offer, they underwrite HIV. 
So just like they underwrite somebody who's diabetic or somebody who has maybe a heart attack five or six years ago. That's kind of the same thing. So um, there are some requirements and you guys can let me know, do you want me to go in those requirements or do you have other questions before we go into that? No, I think we should cover those requirements. Yeah, I, th I think it would be a good idea. So you're you're heading us down this path now that if I'm going to, if I'm employed and I want to get additional life insurance or if, if I'm not employed or I'm self-employed and I want to get uh, insurance for myself and I, I know that I am HIV positive, this is the, the path I should go down. And so we're going to go with John Hancock. They will underwrite, but you're telling us there's some uh, some requirements that you need to be aware of before you even think of applying. Correct. Okay. So now the reason why these requirements are important is because I think it's extremely important for people to understand when it's time for them or to be educated on when they can apply. Right. Okay. So it's not. And, and the reason why I'm saying it is because I don't want people to think, oh, this is the the way to get around underwriting. Mm -hmm. um, it's more about how to make sure you position yourself as good as possible so that you're an outcome that the insurance company will want to insure. Right. Okay. So uh, these products, they are term or permanent life, meaning term or whole life. Um, they have a minimum face amount of $250,000 and you can get up to $2 million in coverage. Um, so minimum face amount just means the minimum amount of coverage you can apply for is $250,000. Okay. okay. So there are a few things that you need to have. The age requirements are between the ages of 30 to 65. Okay. You need to have been monitored and kind of followed with a qualified physician and you need to have a minimum of five years of compliance with no lapses or delays in treatment as far as taking your prescriptions on time and doing your annual checkups. Okay. Right. So that's very important because if someone's only been doing it for four years, this isn't going to be a product that you can apply for. Right. Right. Sorry, I'm just going to stop you there, Sal, for just a second. As you're listening to this, if you want to, you can take notes, but John and I will definitely include this in the show notes. So when this show is published, you can go to our website and see this list of requirements so that uh, if you need to, you can kind of create a checklist and uh, take it to your doctor or uh, get ready before you call John Hancock. All right. Sorry. Absolutely. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, it's no problem. So another thing uh, is that they want to see your CD4 count of around 350 cells per millimeter or higher for at least two years. And then they also want to see a current CD4 count. Okay. And then they also want to see a current negative hepatitis B and hepatitis C testing. And then they also want to see current and prior two years of viral loads. And they want you to be undetectable with less than 20 copies per milliliter or below current detectable laboratory limit. Okay. Okay. So those are kind of the big things right. as far as you being HIV positive. That's what they want to see. That's stage one. It's clear that they're, they're looking for someone that uh, they want to insure individuals who have been diagnosed, but individuals who are, in a sense, taking care of themselves that are healthy uh, to the best of their ability and have shown a pattern or history of taking care of themselves. Correct. Right. That's, that's extremely important. 
Yeah, and that that completely makes sense uh, uh, that any insurer would want to make sure that someone has a healthy history, and that's why they do the medical exams and all of the other history. Exactly. And, you know, the the next stage of this is that if you have those things, right, if you're in the position where you can say, hey, I can check all of those boxes off, Mm -hmm. there's still other things you have to think of because just because you can check all those things off doesn't mean you don't have other issues, right? Right. So that's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's double fold. You kind of have to be all around healthy because they will not, basically they won't give you coverage if you, let's say you qualify for all those things, you, you checked off all those boxes, but there's also another list. If you've been newly or recently diagnosed with HIV, of course, they won't uh, cover you. But if you have any AIDS defining illness, they will not cover you. Okay. If you have any documented viral resistance to treatment, they will not cover you. Any history of like drug abuse or, you know, poly substance abuse or alcohol concerns, any coronary artery disease or diabetes. That means if you are HIV positive, you're in perfect health, you're also diabetic, but you're in perfect health, they will not cover you. Yeah. You know, any rateable psychiatric conditions, you know, if you're bipolar or, you know, if you have, you know, schizophrenia, you know, that's that's going to be an issue. You know, rateable low or decreasing bill, meaning that if you are under underweight, you know, that's a concern for them. They probably won't, you know, they probably won't cover you. So those are just some of the things that you have to think about. Like, are you healthy enough just outside of HIV? Mm-hmm. And then if you are, great. And then look at the requirements for what they have for someone that's HIV positive and then go and apply. Now, guys, this is extremely important. I don't want people to look at this and say, oh, I'm being picked on, right? It isn't that. It's that these insurance companies are not people. They're companies. They do not understand what we deal with on a day-to-day basis, right? They don't get that someone is can be super healthy and go to their doctor and the doctor says, hey, you're perfectly healthy. It doesn't work that way with an insurance company. You know, I've had a client in the past, it was an extremely young guy, and his medical records came back and, you know, they told him, hey, you know, we can't insure you because you're pre-diabetic. And this guy was like, you know, in the best condition ever. He went to his doctor and his doctor was like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And the problem is that the numbers that insurance companies use to determine someone's eligibility are completely different than what a doctor would use to say you're perfectly healthy. So we have to remember that. That's a very important thing to keep in mind. And also getting life insurance and being HIV positive, all of these steps right now, these are the steps for now, right? These are the steps for today. It doesn't mean there's what the steps will always be. Um, but I think if we get enough people, you know, it's very important. If we can get enough people to go through these processes and get approved and these insurance companies can gather more data and see, oh, this thing is unnecessary. So now they remove, you know, the part of, you know, you can't we can't cover you if you're a diabetic as well. Right. Maybe they remove that because they see it's unnecessary because we we've gotten so many people covered. That's kind of how we change the minds and that's how we kind of change the requirements for insurance. It's based on really data um, and not really a personal thing. Gotcha. So I've got a couple of questions. How young or how old do you have to be to be able to apply for 
life insurance as an individual? So for this specific product, you have to be at least 30 years old. Right. Um, in general, 18. 18. Well, that, yeah. that's why 18 I asked that question. Mm-hmm. So if you can get it at 18 um, in general, why do you have to be at least 30 to get it if you're HIV positive? That's one of their underwriting guidelines. Okay. And so this mm-hmm. kind of reinforces your comment from earlier in the show that the earlier you can get life insurance, the better. Yes. The earlier you can get it, the better. The healthier you're going to be, the longer you can get your rate to lock in, right? The lo- the more savings you're going to get. Um, that's how life insurance works. The younger you buy it, the more affordable it's going to be, and the less you're going to have to pay over time. Um, but yeah, that I mean, they're like there are some carriers that won't cover people until they're 21. It's just gotcha. how they have it set up. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So if I'm 18 years old and I apply for life insurance, who would I then give ownership of that policy to if I'm not in a relationship? You will own it. You, so okay, yeah, you can own your own policy. There are four parts to a life insurance policy, which I think is important. That's a great question. So you have the owner, you have the insured. You have the beneficiary and you have the payer. All four of those people can be different. Some of them can be the same. So an individual's policy, the individual will be the owner and the insured. So he will be the person or she will be the person that owns the policy and they're the person that are being insured. The beneficiary could be anyone that has what's called insurable interest. Okay. Now, in layman's terms, insurable interest is anybody that will be affected by you passing away. So it's your best friend, your cousin, your aunt, your mom, your grandma, you know, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, anybody that's going to be financially affected by you passing away, that they can have insurable interest and they can be your beneficiary. Okay. And the payer, the payer can be anybody, anybody who just says, hey, I'll pay for it. All right. Now, the payer isn't anyone that's going to be the owner. They can be the owner, but just because they're paying for it doesn't make them the owner. Okay. Okay. And so I can buy life insurance as an 18-year-old, and then I can change the beneficiary as my relationships evolve. Correct. Okay. And the point I'm getting at here is, is you know, if you can apply for life insurance at 18 when hopefully at that point have not acquired HIV, it might it would behoove you to do so. Um, and if you're going to become sexually active or if you're already sexually active, the sooner you can get that policy, that coverage, the better. Absolutely. Especially if you're a kid who's got student loans, <laughs> your parents may want to be the the owner and beneficiary on that policy since uh, they may be affected if they co-signed on those loans for you. True. Yeah, that happens a lot. I've had a lot of customers that'll call me and say, hey, I need you know, a five-year term. $250,000 or 10-year term for $250,000. I'm going to need it on my son. Um, they're going to college or my daughter going to college. And, you know, I co-signed for those loans. Right. Um, so that's that's a very, you know, that's a big thing as well. And just to bring that up, keep in mind that even though when the parents, when parents do call or when people do call and they want to get coverage for someone, that person always has to know you're getting coverage on them. Unless it's like a child and you're doing a child term rider. But if it's someone that's 18 years or older, they're going to have to be the ones that sign the application. They're going to have to be the ones that give their 
authority for you to own a policy and to take life insurance out on them. I, you know, it's kind of funny. I just I can't have to laugh at this because I always think of like those forensic file shows or uh, or TV shows where they talk about somebody taking out a life insurance policy on someone else, and <laughs> and sometimes you, that person didn't know it or the or family wasn't aware that they had done that. And so you're basically kind of saying. That's that's never never really the case, or else they forged their signature or something like that. Yeah, okay. that's it. That's okay. the only way. <laughs> yeah, that's the only way you're getting life insurance on somebody and they don't know it is if you forge their signature. Because you have to remember, and and then that null and void the policy anyway. Right. right? So that's that makes sense. that's where a lot of that you know comes from. Where people are like, <laughs> oh, I I you know I didn't know because if you think about the process for life insurance, you know, oh, you know, just recently. We're, we're doing no exams, right? So think about back then when the examiner had to come out and do an exam. Right. They had to check all these things. Like, like at what point did the person not know, right? Like, <laughs> right. They, right. Like, they knew something was going on, right? Like, like when they drew so, your yeah, blood, no, you didn't get an indication that something was going on, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, like, yeah. So no, yeah, absolutely. That's to what you're saying. Yeah, they pretty much know, or it's being forged. Awesome. So I I really appreciate this 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 idea of we know that there's a, a segment of not only our listeners but of the population in the queer community that are HIV positive and have been living with being positive for some extended period of time. So this really opens up opportunities for them to protect their loved ones. They may not have been in a relationship when they were diagnosed, and now they are. So that gives them the opportunity to protect their loved ones and protect those who may be financially relying on this on that individual. So this is great. One of the things that has come up recently, though, that's kind of interesting is this whole idea of um, someone who's taking PrEP. Now, and I know there are some individuals who are HIV positive and they're taking PrEP, and sometimes the person they're with is taking PrEP. We've seen this recently where there have been some cases where insurance companies are denying individuals life insurance because they're on PrEP. Can you maybe give us an idea of what's going on with that? Yes. (laughs) So this goes back to the insurance companies not being people, right? Yeah. So they look at someone taking prep as someone that's doing something risky, uh-huh. right? So in their mind, the only reason you're taking prep, this is how an insurance company thinks. The only reason you're taking prep is because you're about to do some risky, you know, risky things. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that in their mind, they're saying, oh, well, this person is either with someone knowingly or engaging with people who are HIV positive. Right. So they're automatically, and on top of that, the prescription drug is a prescription drug that can be used for people who are HIV positive, right? Right. So it's just like how lisinopril can be used for people who have high blood pressure. It can also be used for people who maybe have had a stroke, right? They they don't know why you take lisinopril. They just know it could be used for one of those two things, so they need to investigate. So the, most of these insurance companies will send out a declination letter simply because if you're taking a medication that's associated with being HIV positive, in their mind, you're probably HIV positive. And if you're not HIV positive, you're taking the risk of becoming HIV positive. So that's kind of how insurance companies look at it. And it, it's going to come to one of those things again about one, them becoming more educated about it and not being afraid of it, uh, the insurance companies. And two, you know, us as, you know, the 
queer community, the LGBTQ family voicing our opinion about it, right? right? Getting out there and saying, hey, this is this is not right. This is inaccurate. And everyone should still be given the same opportunity for underwriting because there's nothing that stops them, the insurance companies from saying, we pulled this person's medical records. We see that the doctor issued this and the doctor notated that it was issued for this, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't issued for this other thing. It was just issued because they want to be safe, right? Right, right? So there's nothing stopping the insurance companies from doing that other than the fact that at this point, it's nothing keeping them from getting away with declining people for that reason. Right. Well, yeah, I think the, the most controversial case is taking place right now. And it, uh, there was an article a couple months ago in the New York Times, and it was mm-hmm. about a an ER doctor who was taking PrEP because he works in the emergency room and he deals with a lot of accidents and blood. And so he was mm-hmm. taking PrEP to prevent him from contracting HIV. It just so happens that he's also a gay man. Um, and so that confluence of, of situations, the um, insurance company denied him um, life insurance. So hopefully that and other cases will come up and that will challenge the insurance companies to, to, to maybe start insuring people who are using PrEP because many are taking it to prevent acquiring HIV, even if they're not necessarily taking risky behaviors. Do, exactly. Do you think that this... Uh that John Hancock and their experience with working with individuals who are HIV positive may be a route someone who is taking PrEP could go? Or is there just no experience yet with that? I I think that is a route they should take because John Hancock actually has underwriters specifically that deal with cases of people that are HIV positive. Okay. So I see that, you know, if, if you just look at it, oh, this person is taking PrEP and they run it by one of the underwriters they deal with, you know, underwriting HIV positive people, I think it would be easy for them to say, oh, well, this is just, you know, one thing we should be able to rate this person X, Y, and Z and move forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. All right. And another thing I want to um, say as well, guys, is that keep in mind that if you are approved for this coverage, you are not going to be approved at a low rate. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. The rates can range from 250% to 400% more. Wow. So they can get up there, right? right? So just keep that in mind. And like I said, I'm not saying any of this stuff to be a deterrent from applying because it doesn't cost you anything to apply. Sure. It never costs you anything to apply for life insurance, guys. Always remember that. You don't pay for life insurance until there's a policy in your hand. Right. That's the one thing that, the one reason why I like the no exam products is that when you pay for it online, it's you're covered. You've paid for it. It's, you're, you're, you're covered. When you're dealing with an agent, there's no need for an agent to get any payment information from you until they call you and say, here's your policy number. Gotcha. Now Good we need know. to set up the payment. Yeah. Because a lot of times people are out there and they're trying to buy life insurance and they've talking to 30 people and they've given their banking information to 30 people. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, well, what's <laughs> going on that. here? Right. <laughs> Don't do that. Right. No, just say, hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm OK with applying. You know, especially if you're dealing with an agent, hey, I'm okay with applying, but, you know, I'm not giving payment information until I've been approved. That's reasonable. You're right. Because at at the beginning of it, no one knows if you're going to get approved. So you got to get approved first. Now, of course, it's a bit different when you're dealing with products that are online that go straight through. They have straight through processes like the no exam products. They're going to give you your approval and then they're going to ask for your credit card information. Right. Or you're just going to get declined. So in that case, you've been approved. Um, But dealing with an agent, you know, wait for that answer, get that policy number, 
get the wait for the policy to come in the mail. You know, you have what's called a 30 day free look period. You have 30 days from the time that policy is issued um, to pay and, you know, get a full refund within 30 days. Most insurance companies have a 30 day free look period. So get that policy in your hand and look it over. Call the insurance company and verify if you want to make sure the policy is active and and enforced. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, absolutely. And, makes sense. you know, and. And you can even call the insurance company directly and make the payment. You don't have to make a payment through the insurance agent. You know, just just keep that in mind if you're more comfortable with that. And if the insurance agent calls you and say, hey, we need to set up a premium payment, you just let them know, hey, I've already paid the insurance company directly. And that's fine because insurance agents do not get paid. They, they don't get paid from you. Right. Your premiums don't go up because you're dealing with an insurance agent. I just want right. to let people know that right. the insurance companies pay the insurance agents directly. So. They only get paid if you actually purchase a policy, but your monthly premium is not determined if you work with an insurance agent or not. If you go directly with that company, your price will still be the same if you work with an agent. An agent can kind of help you build and kind of go through who would be best for you. That's, that's what they're supposed to do. An insurance agent is supposed to listen to your situation, understand what your situation is, and find the insurance company that would be best for you to underwrite your specific situation. So that's supposed to be the benefit of going with an insurance, an insurance agent. It doesn't cost you anything to deal with them, but it can save you time and it can save you headache because if you're dealing with an insurance agent that, you know, if you're, if you're looking for yourself, it might be hard to find John Hancock. Whereas an insurance agent might know, hey, John Hancock, that's right. who'd be best for you to go with, right? Mm. So that's kind of the differences. So if I fall into this scenario here that what we've been discussing, should I reach out to you? Should I contact? What's what? What should I should What's I next work step? with an agent, or is there a best place for me to go first? You can work with an agent. You can reach out to me um, at Simply Insurance, or you can call John Hancock directly. Okay. Those are the three options. If you reach out to your agent, um, if you already have an insurance agent, most of them should be able to get appointed with John Hancock, you know, even if they aren't already appointed with them. Um, They have what's called on-time appointment, meaning that they will appoint your insurance agent as soon as you submit the initial application. Gotcha. So it won't slow down your application, basically, if they are not already appointed. Um, but that's just something to keep in mind. Those are options. But yeah, I, I recommend, you know, if, if you already have someone you're comfortable with, you don't have to go out there and find somebody new. Tell them John Hancock and <laughs> they'll trust me, they'll <laughs> they'll get appointed okay. if they have to. Or you can reach out to me uh, directly or you can reach out to John Hancock directly. Um, those are all ways to, to get covered. Yeah, I, I think everyone, I'm just going to give a little plug here for Sile and, and all the information that he already has has his company simply insurance uh, is it simply insurance.co is that right it's, yeah it's .co yeah so uh, if you're in this situation and you're looking for insurance might as well go with someone who has uh, uh, quite a bit of understanding about how this works so you can reach out to him exactly so um Sile, is there anything that we haven't covered with regard to life insurance for HIV people that we should before we wrap things up um i would say the most important thing is just always remember why you're buying life insurance. Like that is the biggest thing for me. I've come across so many people who think they're buying life insurance for themselves. And that's just not true. You're never buying life insurance for yourself. If you keep that mindset, these stipulations that the underwriters have or the issues that, you know, it seems like, oh, that's a, that's a bit much just to get life insurance. It would all go away. 
remember that you're buying life insurance for those that you leave behind. Because when we buy things for ourselves, we always, you know, we don't really care. You know, if I go buy, you know, a a book bag for myself, I'll just get whatever. But, you know, if I'm shopping for my husband, it's a whole different mindset. It's a whole different experience, right? Mm-hmm. I want to make sure it's something he likes. I want to make sure it's something that he's going to enjoy and smile about and give me that feeling of, oh, I did something good for the for you know, the first time. That's fine. But um <laughs> <laughs> But you 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 really want to you really want to remember that it's for those who we leave behind. It's not for us. And when we go out there and we buy something for people that we love, we always make the best decisions. Don't focus on the price. Don't think you need it to be cheap. Just make sure you're getting the most affordable product that's going to help you and your family. Because if you pass away, you want to make sure that you're there to cover your family. I always recommend people get anywhere between 10 to 20 times their annual income. Um, I always like to say 20 times because if you make $50,000 a year, as an individual, when you think about that, your family is re- re- relying on that every single year. But 20 times your annual income, it gives them 20 years of your income, which would be a million dollars, right? So they can live for 20 years based on the salary that you were making. That's how I like to think about it, right? So it's always important just to make sure you have enough coverage. And guess what? If you can't afford 20 times, purchase what you can afford. Mm-hmm. But what you shouldn't do is never go uninsured. If you can help it, do not go uninsured. Even if you have to get an accidental death policy, get that. Have something. Right. No, just, you know, don't go uninsured. That's what I say. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you, Silo. We really appreciate it. And uh, again, for those of you who are in this case, feel free to reach out to Sile at simplyinsurance.co. And we'll have show notes on our website that will give you those guidelines again. So feel free to jump over to debtfreeguys.com to find that information. Thank you very much. All right, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. You bet. Thank you, Saw L, for sharing such a wealth of information with us and our listeners. To our listeners who are HIV positive, this episode is a great resource for getting the life insurance you'll want to help your loved ones when you're gone. You can also get more information about Saw L and his mission at simplyinsurance.co. Don't forget, today's crib money is brought to you by the Debt Free Guys Seven Day Debt Freedom Challenge, and you can accept that challenge by going to debtfreeguys.com. Finally, if you like this or any other episode of Queer Money, please help us get Queer Money into the ears of more listeners. Please share Queer Money with one or two people in your life. Thank you, and we'll see you next week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.